The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Driving through northeastern Virginia, it may sometimes seem that you can't swing a cat without hitting a Civil War monument. To test the scientific accuracy of that supposition, Professor Timothy Sador traveled thousands of miles through the entire state of Virginia, recording all the Confederate monuments he could find, but not swinging any actual cat. He recorded the results in a surprisingly revealing reference book, An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments. We'll talk with the author of that book, Dr. Timothy Sador, today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Do you know that digestive problems, ADHD, and chronic pain can be treated naturally? In fact, most health problems can be treated using integrative and alternative medicine. Find out about cancer prevention and managing diabetes. Learn how to use common herbs and spices to treat a variety of conditions. For the sake of your good health, tune in to Natural Solutions with your host, Dr. Sean Palmer. Broadcasting live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, a component of the University of North Carolina system, but I'm not speaking for the system, the sadly diminished uh, system, uh, because there's no budget for me to speak for them. So I'm speaking for myself as I do each week, and my guest I know will do the same. Well, welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. It's the first show of a new season. It's a beautiful, well, yeah, pretty nice, actually, Friday afternoon in September 2011, the first show of the eighth season of Civil War Talk Radio, an astonishing, uh, if inadvertent, achievement. It has just sort of gone on since I first filled in on an uh, interim basis in 2004, and it's been, <clears throat> excuse me, been very interesting the whole way. <coughs> uh, 
hoping to keep my voice for the rest of the season. Uh, all kinds of interesting things have happened since we last spoke in June, uh, earlier this summer, not least of which was Hurricane Irene, which swept through Greenville last week and knocked down a couple trees at the Civil War Talk Radio home base headquarters, uh, my house over on Oxford Road, but didn't hurt anybody, fortunately. At least not uh, a few people across the state, unfortunately, but none could have been a lot worse, a little bit of uh, tree damage, but uh, not not what it might have been. So that was good news. In other news, many people have been anxiously calling and emailing, by many I mean actually none, uh, about the Greenville Stars uh, over 50 men's soccer team in that season-ending tournament that we finished with uh, last year. And as, as you already know, probably, the Stars won uh, a, a truly shocking uh, achievement, the first time we've won anything, and we're all gung-ho for the next tournament in December. I'll keep everybody breathlessly posted on that as it approaches. You can find out about things of actual consequence to Civil War Talk Radio, of course, from the website impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War Talk Radio information site, which includes... Uh, handy links to the, the donation button, send $20 to help keep the website going, and we will also be happy to send you a copy of All for the Regiment, the History of the Army of the Ohio, or Did Lincoln Own Slaves? Another frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln. There are other links there that there are pieces of information showing who's going to be on the show, and we have a, a very interesting season lined up for season eight. Uh, today we've got a, a book that uh, <clears throat> that I'm looking forward to telling you about and talking with the author about. Then we've got, uh, let's see, coming up next week, September 9th, Wallace Heddle has a new book on Stonewall Jackson, the creation of the Stonewall Jackson image. Very promising. Uh, no live show on the 16th of September as I'm off to the Lincoln Studies Center at Knox College that weekend. And then we have uh, Wayne uh, Wysang Shia. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name entirely right, but Professor Shia is uh, at the Naval Academy and has written a book on West Pointers in the Civil War. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him at Gettysburg this summer at the Civil War Institute, and I'm, uh, he'll be a very interesting guest, I know. Uh, then on the 30th of September, Ann Marshall talks about the creation of Confederate Kentucky, the, the posthumous Confederate state, the one that joined after 1865. She'll tell us how that came about. And uh, just give one more. We've got a lot of shows lined up, but to, to give a few previews, Robert Winstrow will be with us on October 7th. He has written the uh, uh, very interesting book on the uh, unfortunate um, affairs of the Confederate General Doles at Gettysburg, uh, the man who led his brigade to destruction on the first day, and we'll find out how that came about. It's an interesting tale with uh, uh, lots more uh, involved. So, uh, lots to, to, to hear from uh, this year. One thing I'm looking forward to doing, uh, but I don't know which week it will be, is talking with you to the next winner of the uh, the Thomas, uh, I forget the right name, the Tom Watson Brown Book Prize Award winner. This is a new, relatively new prize uh, from the Society of Civil War Historians. The first winner two years ago was Dan Sutherland, who wrote about Confederate guerrillas. He won that prize after being on this show. 
And the winner that will be uh, uh, celebrated this October, I just got my invitation yesterday, is Mark W. Geiger, who wrote Financial Fraud and Guerrilla Violence in Missouri's Civil War, 1861 to 1865. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and download that show, uh, Mark Geiger was on last spring. Uh, just a fascinating book, uh, looking at the the financial support of the rebellion in Missouri, the Confederate bankers who essentially stole the money they were entrusted with and gave it to the Confederacy, and how that didn't work out, and how it changed the shape of, of Missouri society to the present day, uh, making it different from the other ex-slaveholding uh, states. Truly a, an original and fascinating book. Really enjoyed uh, learning from it. And I'm delighted that it has won this award. No idea who next year's award winner will be, but with any luck, it'll be someone who has done a show here on Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, we're trying to get the, the newest and most interesting books as they come out. Well, we have one of those today. Uh, listeners, you may know that sometimes you look at the list of people coming up. Uh, I know I do this sometimes, and I go to myself, all right, we've got envelopes of the Civil War this week or identity disks of the Civil War this week. And I'm thinking this is going to be antiquarian, trivial, perhaps tedious, but you know, we've got to do a show. And both of those, uh, if you remember listening to them, turned out to be fascinating. Uh, I learned a lot in both cases. And in both cases, it was not an antiquarian approach, but a thoughtful analytic approach to uh, to something we don't normally think about. And uh, I'm happy to say this week uh, we've got the same kind of story. I was contacted by the publicist for uh, today's author. Uh, and I don't always get aggressive publicists calling Civil War talk radio. Uh, I don't have to fight them off with a stick. But once in a while someone gets hold of, of me here and says, you've got to get this author on. And that was the case here. And when you combine the the sort of reference-like title, An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments and the Aggressive PR, I thought, well, you know, I'll say yes, but we'll see what we get. And I'm very glad I said yes. Uh, let's bring our author in and, and, and talk about this. Uh, Dr. Sador, are you there? I'm here, yes. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Uh, I don't believe we've met anywhere on the Civil War Trail, but uh, I hope you'll call me Jerry, and I hope you don't mind if... if do you go by Tim or Timothy? Timothy's fine. Uh, well, well, thank you for again for for joining me. Um, this uh, let me start at the beginning. How did you come to write such a uh, what what brought you to write such a book? I was teaching at uh, Virginia Tech, of all places, uh, for a couple of years um, as an instructor, and then my career took me to New York, and I teach in the Bronx now. So I did a lot of commuting. Uh, we kept our house down in Virginia, and I did a lot of commuting between um, Blacksburg, Virginia, and the Bronx. And it was um, it's a fascinating kind of border to cross and to do so repeatedly. And as you said, I mean, there's virtually nowhere you can go where you don't somewhere encounter Confederate monuments. But as somebody who was born in the North and who's, you know, crossed that border over and over again, there's something about these monuments that's, um, that I really found fascinating. And I, I'd preface my remarks by saying I, I'm not a historian. I'm, my field is English. And, and so I took a, a real interest in what, what they said, what did they say, what was the rhetoric, you know, what, were they, what was the message they were telling us. 
and every message was different. I mean, every time I went to a different monument, every, every time as, as small or insignificant or obscure as what I was looking at was, there nevertheless was this kind of message that they're, they're conveying to us across the distance of time. So I, I really found it absorbing. Well, the, the, that shows in the book. The, the, uh, boy, that's a lot of driving from, uh, from Blacksburg to the Bronx over and over. Five miles. Uh, when, when you when you do how many miles? Five hundred. Five hundred. That that is a hefty drive. When you're now, you mentioned you you, you teach English. Uh, yeah. uh, that, that's your your academic background. Yeah. Uh, were you interested in the Civil War before going to Blacksburg? Uh, very much so. Um, and I think uh, I had to start way back. And it started with Bruce Catton. I think was the one who got me started on the war and and. and that's, that's where I started. So I, I did a lot of reading prior to. And when I got the job offer in Virginia, I mean, it's quite natural to take it. Um, and, and it really changed the course of my uh, um, career interests in terms of you know, what I was writing about, what I was interested in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah I, and I, I, don't, I have no regrets about going to English. Um, I, I think the language of what they say on the monuments um, has really given me a different way of understanding what the war was about from their standpoint. Well, when you say there, that yeah. immediately, uh, that's a question we always ask our students. What do you mean by they? Who is it, they? It, so who is they and when you say that? You're really listening to a lot of voices, and we're not always sure who's saying what or who they're speaking for. So. In fact, the they is kind of appropriate. Uh, sometimes it's the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Sometimes it's Confederate veterans. Um, sometimes it is people who are directly related to people who fought in the war. Sometimes it is the veterans themselves. Uh, sometimes they are speaking for the dead. You know, they're, they're, you know this is what they fought for. Um, and, of course, the dead don't have that voice to, uh, uh, to speak for themselves. So the they is, is not, and, and a lot of the times, a lot of the monuments don't identify who who is sponsoring them, who who put it up. There are monuments who it, it's just not clear where they came from or who did them. Uh, so it is it is sometimes uh, obviously a lot of them are very well documented. Some of them are not well documented at all. So I found a lot of um, a lot of voices being spoken here. I, I think it's very interesting. It's something in in public history one comes across this. You, you go to if you read a book, you know who wrote it. But if you right. go to a museum, you don't know yeah. who chose those artifacts and who yeah. arranged them and who wrote the captions and, yeah. and why does it come out that way? Uh, and these monuments are the same have that same quality of anonymity. Some of them, don't they? Often, and I think that there's a certain amount of modesty about what they were doing. I don't know that they thought this is so important that we need to keep records of who's doing what and, and how they came about saying what they say about what the war meant or why they fought the war. Um, so it's, you're really coming up against a lot of enigmas, a lot of mysteries. And again, one of the things that fascinated me about this subject was you know, the space considerations. You have a very small space in which to say what you want to say. And so you wind up with these very cryptic um, phrases being used to express a lot of emotion or a lot of conviction or um, a, a lot of um, 
kind of summary statements about what this history means to these um, these groups or these people. Well, let me ask a, a couple of broad questions to get the outlines of, of the subject here. How many monuments did you did you document? Well, I the table of contents has 360 sites. Um, there are actually more because I went to Stonewall Cemetery in Winchester has about 30 or 40, and so there's it, it, there's probably over 440 altogether actual monuments um, that are documented in this book. And, and these don't include individual tombstones. You said you left that out. I did a couple of. I made a few exceptions. Um, it, you know, if I, I obviously had to narrow it down. If I did tombstones, I would be doing thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did make exceptions. For example, Stonewall Jackson, A.P. Hill. Uh, some of those. You know, it just didn't seem right to exclude them since they really are kind of public monuments in public kinds of places. So I didn't do tombstones, but I did a couple of um, individual exceptions. So you've got uh, hundreds yeah. and, and uh, of these all over the state. I went uh, everywhere. I went to every county. I went to every county. I went to every independent city that had something. Yeah. And and, uh, and you have these very excellent maps that show where they are, so so visitors can go follow up themselves. Right. Um, the when when flipping through the book, when I first got the book, I, I sort of flipped through it and said, "Oh, you know, this this looks kind of like a, a dry reference book. I'll deal with it." And then reading the introduction, one of the things you you comment on is that no two of these are alike. When you flip through it, they look a, a lot alike. There's a lot of obelisks. There's a lot of statues of a yeah. private soldier on a pedestal. Yes. But but the differences are subtle, but they're important. It's. I, I, I can't. Um, I don't think I can overstate. They, they look similar, and you know, the comparison I made in the book was like you know you go to a you know a crowd of people, you're looking for one person, everybody looks the same. I mean, it could be your own your own mother, and you you, you can't find. But they're they're all of course different. Or like luggage, you know, you're looking for your own luggage, and there's one piece you're looking for. Everything looks it's it's not. They're all different. They're all different, and it was surprising as. You know, many of these monuments are are manufactured. They're kind of, I wouldn't say mass-produced, but some of the models are identical. But every inscription was different. And everyone, and again, there's that they, this broad group of people who, who uh, are part of this mo- movement, everyone made different decisions on what to say and how to say what they wanted to say. And some of them are more emotional. Some of them are pretty... Um, didactic, instructive. Um, some of them are, you know, there's a certain tone of anger. And sometimes there's a certain resentment that they had to fight the war. Um, there's a, a lot of variety in what you're, what you're seeing there. And so I guess, you know, one of the things that surprised me was that fact. And I really wanted to make the case. And it became something that was, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I was very interested in Every time I came to a place where there was this monument, you know, what is it going to tell me? What is it going to say? How is it going to be different? And in every case, there's something else they're trying to tell us. There's some message there that they're they're trying to communicate to us. Well, let me draw an example. In uh, sure. the the uh, this is at uh, where is it in Frederick County. Uh, uh, in Winchester, in, in the Shenandoah Valley, I yes. believe I, I have the right place. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the North Carolina obelisk, within this cemetery there are multiple obelisks, 
And the North Carolina one, uh, and I, I'm drawn to this not just because I happen to be living currently in North Carolina. I'm really a, a Michigander at heart. Uh, but it says simply, N.C. Yeah. Confederate dead. What, what did that mean to you? <laughs> you really want to talk to them. Um, it, it's an astonishing piece there um, to me because there's behind it there's so many, and it's it's a it's a wonderful place. I should say wonderful. It's 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 wonderful and terrible, I suppose, to to look at it because there there are hundreds of graves behind that spot. Um, but as I say in the book, it is the most restrained inscription in, Virgi- in Virginia. It says almost nothing, um, but it's trying to say a great deal. And it, it, it amazes me what they could have said and they didn't say. And sometimes the speeches, as I wrote in that uh, about that monument, are, are very strong and very uh, vociferous in defending the cause. This doesn't say that. This just says NC. And I don't know why they didn't spell it out. They have the space. Why not? You know, why not make that claim? But NC Confederate dead, what did they fight for? Why is the emphasis on, on the dead, not the cause? And, and what did they fight for? And what did they, you know, what did they die for? And it, it doesn't say that. So it leaves you wondering what the message really is. And, and, and the way I interpret it, and this is obviously just, it's just me looking at this, and, and trying to think through what the words are saying is they go beyond the cause, uh, in, in, in a sense, beyond bereavement, uh, beyond apologetics about why the war should, you know, was it just, was the cause just. It goes beyond that and it focuses just on them. And I think there's a justification on that. It's, it's them, it's the 452 graves that are there. That's what we should consider. And, and, and it kind of leaves us with the confrontation of of this mortality. It is really a, a, a powerful interpretation there. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back in just a minute. We'll talk more with our guest, Timothy Sador, author of An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments. I'm Jerry Prokopovich on Civil War Talk Radio. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite world talk radio network host how about what's new with our network make sure you check out the iRadio blog a look at what's hot at world talk radio and beyond visit www.iradioblog.com today get the inside scoop on every channel on our network including breaking news featured guests blog posts from our hosts and much more make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person think about that for a second almost everyone wants to be better but how does one go about doing that one thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the self-improvement show with dr irene conlon all real change comes from within but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement most of us don't know how to work within Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Variety. Listen. Listen. 
The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Timothy S. Sador. He's the author of An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments. It's a very handsome book from Southern Illinois University Press that takes you to hundreds uh, of monuments, Confederate monuments throughout the state of Virginia, uh, illustrating them with photographs, uh, describing where they are, what the inscriptions say, uh, and often a little bit of information about uh, the events that they commemorate, the battles uh, that they represent, and also, uh, in many cases, uh, speeches given at the dedications, bits of, of rhetoric that were uh, used to to dedicate these monuments. Um, Timothy, we left off talking about the, the North Carolina obelisk at, at this uh, cemetery in, in, in the Shenandoah Valley. And as a, a, a person living in North Carolina, I've heard uh, often the, the reference to this state as the veil of humility between two mountains of conceit. And so it was very appropriate that that, that the, the inscription we were just discussing, NC, Confederate dead, so restrained, uh, so limited. And I, I tied in, I, I interviewed last May uh, Josh Howard, who works for the state of North Carolina, a graduate of, of ours here at East Carolina, uh, who is counting the North Carolina dead uh, one oh, by yeah, one, yeah, going sure. to pension records, trying to get yeah. an accurate number. Uh, and and it may be that Virginia lost more men than North Carolina. It, it's it's it, It's a rather macabre thing to yeah, sure. fight over. But it does represent the interest people have in this kind of thing. And one question that came to mind as I was reading this book was, did you encounter other people at a lot of these monuments? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, it took years. So sometimes you're by yourself. Sometimes it's it's dark. I mean, you, you know, you really it's just it's just it's like a job. You know, you go here, you check this. It's very clinical in a way. Um, it, it, it is like you know, it is academic research. And so oftentimes I was just doing this job. Uh, sometimes, and you get. And, and Winchester was a very good example of this, where you feel like you know you're kind of intruding on this this different world. You know, that's a place where all the tombstones are, are actually marked. There are tombstones there, as, to, as opposed to a place like Blandford, where it's just it, there's a field of thirty thousand dead, but there's no there are no tombstones. So you don't you don't get that sense of you know what you're actually in the presence of in the same way as to individuals. Um, a lot of the Cemeteries, yes. I mean, there's always a f- people around there. Um, I, I, I think when you asked that question, one surprising comment that I got was down in Nottoway, Nottoway County, which is closer to the uh, North Carolina border, where there were men doing maintenance around this very prominent Confederate monument. This is during the day. And this man asked, asked me, he asked me, and I was doing photographs, he asked, okay, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, what is this? And he was African American man. And I had to explain to him this what this is. And um, so I think in a lot of cases they are kind of an unnoticed part of the the landscape. I mean, you, you go into a building, you don't think about the architecture necessarily. You think about what you're what you have to do there. And so I don't, you know, I don't blame people for not noticing things. You know, there's it's it's 
it is kind of part of a different world. Um, but um, there's a there's a lot of variety in in that sense. The um, the ones in in Charlottesville on the University of Virginia campus that was an experience because I was surrounded when I was down there by all these kids, you know, students uh, while I was doing the research there. And so again, here was this Confederate cemetery in the midst of this community. You know, life goes on. This monument stands there. These graves stand there. Um, and and you're kind of in the you're kind of intruding on this you know be, you're between these two worlds. There's this world that intrudes on the present, but it's kind of unnoticed, and 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 life goes on around it. And I, I think that's you know it's there to be noticed, and it's not necessarily you know part of the present at the same time. There's a, a shopping mall here in Greenville with a very small family graveyard in the middle of the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, they must have bought the land and built it, but they couldn't move yeah. the graves. And, and sure. so it's blocked off with, with eye-high fences. You don't see it unless you know it's there. But when you do know it's there, I, I, I think I grasp what you're saying. There's a sense that you're breaking a, 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 almost a taboo that yeah. we're not supposed to go into that world. Yeah. These, these people need to be left alone. And, yeah. and it's bad enough with all the cars parked around them going to Old Navy uh, yeah. without us peeking at them. As long as we go about our business, they're fine. Right. Uh, but when you start to photograph and, and take notes, suddenly it's it's an intrusion. There is something strange about it in that sense, and I you thought, you kind of feel like what a doctor might, a medical doctor might feel when they, you know, you have this condition, you worry about it, and then the doctor just looks at it and says, "Well, it's yeah. this." Mm-hmm. And here too, I'm looking at this really enormous tragedy, and you look at the rhetoric, and and then you see this chasm. There's what the words say, and there's what the words mean, you know, what, what they're trying to say. And I think the United Dollars of the Confederacy, the UDC, were, they were the most emotional. They were the ones who really tried to affect, affect, um, uh, you know, bring the emotions across in a sense. Uh, a lot of them are very restrained. Your, your North Carolina example is, 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 you know, a very good one of where it's, it's cryptic. But one of my favorites, if, if you will, was, yes. was uh, in Marshall, in Virginia, which and that monument went up in 1928, and it expresses this love for their Confederate dead. And this is by the UDC, and you know I thought about that. It's a very plain monument, um, and it's in a cemetery, it's a city cemetery. It's very plain, but the, the UD, they, they make this claim that they're they're our Confederate dead. They're ours. There's this love for them. And, and but the date is what gets me. It's 1928. It's like 70 years later. So they didn't know these people. But how could they know them? You know, they, they you know, they, it's, it's it's so long after. But they express, you know, the expression of love is 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 still present. Um, likewise, this this got me too because you get these cryptic pieces of evidence. You try and tie them together. There was a monument that was erected specifically because it's inscribed there, and I'm sure they did it well in advance. December 8th. 1941. Hmm. Well, there it is. You know, it's the day after Pearl Harbor. They they they, they couldn't have like put that on that morning. And I'm they sure they did it. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 there it is, expressing this fidelity to the Confederate dead. The day after well, Pearl Harbor. You make an interesting point that all these inscriptions added together make uh, a text of 10,000 words. Yeah. That that this. 
you read them one at a time, it says to our Confederate dead, yeah. to our heroes, etc., yeah. and, and you can sort of dismiss it, two or three words. But collectively, either by what they say differently or by the repetition of the same things, you get different senses of meaning of what this is about. I, I, again, I, one of the comments that was made to me was, just because they say the same thing, you look at the context and, and where it's being said, and the location, of course, makes a difference. The, the Blandford Cemetery in Petersburg, there are like 30,000 men, graves, there. And, you know, they're our Confederate heroes. You walk under this arch and into this field, and, and this is one of those cases where you're very often alone. You're the only one there, um, but you're in the presence enormous presence of, of the dead. Um, there's very little to say about them. It's an example of a very restrained inscription. But it, it, it is a case where it doesn't have to say much in order to communicate much. They're ours. Let me ask you about something else that, that struck me in, in these monuments. Uh, many of them have human figures on them. Uh, the there's one here in downtown Greenville uh, in front of the courthouse. I think it says our, to our Confederate dead yeah. in 1913 or so. And at the top is, is your rebel soldier. Yeah. Uh, and again, if you thumb through the book, it looks like the same guy over and over. Yeah. But when you start to look closely, it's not identical. But what struck me was your, your description of what, what these statues mean, uh, you know, wh- who they chose to, to portray and how they portray them. Uh, let's start with the myth, I guess. They're not all facing to the north, are they? It's a myth. Yeah, they don't. They, it's just practical. A lot, you know, they, they'll put them out in front of courthouses, and the courthouses naturally don't necessarily face north or south or east or west. They'll face whatever's practical, and so that is just a, it's just a myth. But if they don't all face north, they all do mean... They're not just randomly posed. No. Uh, t- talk about the poses of these figures. Well, I'll, let me talk about the geography of how they're set. Sometimes sure. they do face in a particular direction. Um, the one in, um, I'll have to think of the name, it's, but it, it definitely faces, oh, in Lynchburg, definitely faces east. And in my view, Lynchburg faces east towards Appomattox. And likewise, the one um, near the Petersburg battlefields faces west towards Five Forks. Um, and so there is some deliberation where they can in setting a face in a particular direction. Um, but I, I think they are also deliberately posed in a kind of, I, I, I use the word slouch in the book, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully. They, there's something casual about their poses. They're not militaristic. They're not bellicose. They're not necessarily warlike. They are vigilant. They're ready. They're citizen soldiers, and it, it, I think that's very deliberate in what they're trying to say. They're not out to conquer. They're out to defend um, their cause, however that's judged to be, uh, but they, it's not an aggressive um, pose that they uh, give to us. In addition to that, um, they're almost always, I have to say probably always, posed Confederate uniforms. Confederate soldiers, and that's how they're described, and I, I think there's accuracy in that, but they're contradicted by what, how they're described and what they fought for. They don't necessarily fight for 
the Confederacy, they will fight for their states. They'll fight for Virginia. They'll fight for North Carolina or South Carolina, but not necessarily the Confederacy. And it's not always a losing cause. They fought for their rights. They fought to defend their state. And you can make the case that their fight was successful. They fought, and that, in that sense, they, they did what was, in their view, what was right. And so there's a lot of, you know, I guess some kind of mythology about how and what we're looking at. Well, that brings up uh, an obvious question, and, and this ties in both with inscriptions and with the poses, in terms of what they are fighting for. Yeah. Um, one of the things that these monuments don't talk about is slavery. No. Uh, I think you said there was maybe one reference, uh, if, if no that. I'm sorry? Uh, it, maybe one reference, maybe none. I'm not sure if I remember Yeah, correctly. there are none. But I, none. I, I also make the point that there are no references to slavery in, in the northern monuments that I know of. Which, that is a significant. I, I'm not – most of them, certainly the ones when I just – run through my mind as I yeah. catalog. No, they don't. They they will talk about freedom sometimes, yeah. but certainly not about uh, abolition or slavery. No, as such. they never talk about abolition. They never talk about slavery, north or south. They will talk about freedom in mm-hmm. the north. They will talk about rights in the south. So, so they these monuments are making a case that the war is not about slavery yes. just by not talking about it. Oh, yes. Oh, very much. And I, I think significant, too, that they don't necessarily talk about the Confederacy. A lot of them do, um, but a lot of them really don't. You know, they don't. They they didn't fight for that that nation. They fought for their state. Exceptions in terms of slavery are, I guess, oblique. Um, there is a, uh, conf- a Confederate black soldier on the Arlington Monument. Um, that was Moses Ezekiel, and there's you know, distinctively black Confederate soldier on that. Marker. That's in Arlington Cemetery. There's also a, um, you know, to use the proper expo- expression of the time, a, a colored soldier um, that was erected by, you know, African Americans in Norfolk, and that's very close to the Confederate monument. And that's that soldier stands um, in the Norfolk Cemetery, right next to the Confederate Cemetery. So there are some exceptions in that sense. But that, that's a Union, a USCT, United States yeah. Conf- Colored Troops. Yeah. So that that would be yeah. certainly different there. Right. Well, that, that, uh, I mean, I just think it is, it is fascinating what these things say. Um, and it, what's also interesting to me is the contrast. You, you obviously did a lot of research to find the ceremonies at which many of these were dedicated. Yeah. Uh, and you quote some of the speeches. And there sometimes slavery was referenced. Oh, and yes. the Confederacy is referenced. Yes. And, oh, yeah. Uh, they don't hold back there. And it makes you wonder how much, you know, what, what they actually... I mean, I did some. I didn't do all of them, you know, given the, the space parameters. But, yeah, the speeches would, could be pretty real stem winders. Um, yeah, they're pretty aggressive there. <laughs> and so they tell a different story, which they makes do. you wonder, did, did the people in the audiences read these statues and these inscriptions as code? The, the statue doesn't say the cause is lost, but we know it's really won. We've maintained our racial hierarchy. We never give up certain concepts. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to say all that. We'll say it out loud. The words will disappear in the air, but we're not going to put that in stone. It's a good question. It, it, again, it's something that's kind of left to history. You know, it, we don't know. They didn't tell us 
and it was a real frustration to me. Um, I expected, I guess it's you know the academician in me. You, you expect to find committee records and notes and and deliberations on how these inscriptions are going to be written and how they evolve. And we had this draft and that draft, and, that, and I could not find that kind of record. I assume they just tossed it away. Um, so uh, it, it's it's kind of surprisingly neutral on that score. They make their statements, and you can interpret them, unfortunately, in different ways. Um, so I guess it's kind of a big tent kind of uh, rhetoric in some, in, in some respects. What... Um just to drop uh, drop a notch in, in my questioning, what was the weirdest monument you found? My favorite monuments, if I may say, mm-hmm. the uh, Emporia, Virginia. Let me find that for you. Was the most um, strident one to the Confederate soldiers of Greensville County who in defense of rights say they believe sacred, took up arms against the invaders of Virginia. I kind of like that expression. The invaders, I mean, which puts them in my, makes me an invader, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the invaders of Virginia, the glory dies not and the grief is past. So they're, they're not mincing words there. They, they do not mince words. You know, they, they, they invaded us. We took up arms against them. This is that second revolution against, you know, this tyranny uh, and these invaders, and we took them on. So that, you know, that was, that was a pretty strong statement. The monument that, if I may say, kind of intrigues me the most is the one in uh, Stonewall Cemetery in Winchester. I'm, let's hold on that thought a minute. Yeah. We'll take a break and come back and find out what intrigues you about that. We're going to take another short break on Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Tune in to Green with Envy every week for the most up-to-date information about living a green, fulfilling life. With a mix of serious inquiry and engaging humor, host Peter Terweem and his guest experts uncover topical issues and refreshing stories that'll keep you informed and inspired. We'll want to hear from you during the live program as well. Green with Envy is broadcast live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on World Talk Radio Variety. We all lead busy lives, and sometimes we think we can't take care of our health. We battle food addictions, time restrictions, and media conflictions when it comes to our health. Now, you can tune in to the Dare to Be Healthy Show with host Alia Almoayed. Good health comes to those who dare to take the leap into the amazing world of natural healing. Find out what it's like to look and feel great. And finally, live your life to its maximum potential. Let Alia and her guests show you how. Dare to Be Healthy is broadcast live Mondays at 11 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. 
Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Timothy S. Sador, author of An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments. It is a reference book that takes you to hundreds of monuments around the state of Virginia, uh, tells you where they are, uh, what uh, gives you a photograph, show what they look like, what's written on them, and uh, sometimes a snippet from speeches when they were dedicated, and puts them in context. More, It's not just a listing, but it tells you something uh, thoughtful and interesting about them that helps you, uh, helps me at least, understand what the makers of these monuments were doing, what they tried to say, what they didn't say with their sometimes cryptic inscriptions. Uh, Timothy, you were just saying one of the most intriguing monuments to you, uh, you were about to identify. Tell us about that. Oh, this one in uh, Georgia, um, I'm sorry, in Stonewall Cemetery, Virginia, but it has a Georgia monument uh, erected in 1884, and um, the people of Georgia, to 290 of her sons who lie in this cemetery, and one of the inscriptions says this, and I'm quoting, of course, Go, stranger, and tell it in Georgia that we died here in obedience to her laws. And that strikes me as being kind of shocking. Um, I say that because it, ca- it refers to the stranger. It doesn't assume that someone from Georgia is here that, who mourns them, who visits them, who remembers or appreciate, appreciates them, it says, go to Georgia, tell them that we are here and that we die in obedience to her laws. And so I'm left wondering, you know, is there this accusation, you know, directed to Southerners that these deaths were not necessary, that this, you know, obedience to her laws was not worth the loss of these lives, that the cause was not just. And so there's, to me, some kind of tone, perhaps, of a kind of bitterness about this loss. Well, um, but uh, of course, you can take that quote, the the reference, uh, as you know, to uh, to the Thermopylae, to yes, the, the, the Spartans. Know. You know, go tell, uh, you know, tell the Lacedaemonians that here we lie, obedient to their laws. Yeah. But what I find that that chilling in a similar way, the Spartans. Um, I mean, I, I'm from the state of Michigan, but I'm a, a Michigan man, not a Michigan state man. So I'm yeah. not a Spartan, uh, but a Wolverine. The, the, yeah. the Sparta is is not a model for American democracy. Sparta is a a, a military state uh, with slavery, yeah. uh, a conquest state. It's it, when the founding fathers talked about ancient Greece, they were talking about Athens uh, and democracy. Yeah. And Sparta is not who we model ourselves yeah. after. So I found it chilling in that way as well. Right. Uh, and, and, and so one of the ways I take this collected text is the variety of responses to that, that it's, it's, I mean, it's a terrible war, but these are not warlike people who engaged in it. They're not. The, the, uh, in some cases, they're not even engaged in war. One that, that struck me that uh, uh, is the... the the monument for the two horse thieves. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Uh, who I, I guess they were, they were. Yeah, it's in the valley. They were executed just after the war had ended. In fact, right. uh, but they they get a monument uh, yeah. and and uh, you know condemning Yankee tyranny for yes. executing these guys out of hand. Uh, yeah. Although they do in fact seem to have stolen some horses. Uh, right and. 
How does one take that, I guess? You take it in different ways. But if you were the father, you know, you'd lost your son. And, that, you know, he was the one who, you know, who, who's, who's doing the mourning here. So I, I don't, you know, you feel for him for that kind of loss. It's, it is very personal. Um, you know, and it is part of this, you know, the ongoing tragedy of, of the war um, that, that we're looking at. And it, it's, still, it's still present. One of the things that got me was everything's in place, but, of course, the movement is still going on. They're still erecting monuments. They put up a monument uh, to the Arkansas troops just a few weeks ago in Stone Mall Cemetery. So these are still being put up today, you mean? They're still put, being put up today, yes. Wow. Yes. One interesting thought that you, you point out here is the the difficulty we might have in reading these inscriptions uh, you know some are still being put up today but the, the the majority are in the early part of the 20th century yeah uh and then uh you cite Paul Fussell's uh marvelous yeah. book uh, Great yeah. War and Modern Memory yeah. where he argues that that World War One ended the sort of age of sincerity and begins an age of irony, uh, yeah. and that we we communicate primarily in irony today, uh, misdirection, saying not quite what we mean. We know, you know, you're supposed to know what I mean uh, uh, when I say the opposite of what I actually mean. You know, I'm sure means I'm not sure, uh, yeah. and so on. Is our inability does that restrict our ability to understand these inscriptions that we no longer speak the same English language that they spoke in the 19th century? I have changed my opinion on that. I see it different ways. I interviewed someone down in Stanton who remembered some of these uh, veterans and people who who really who lived through the war, and hmm. she told me of how some people never got over the war, of course. Some people remember, remembered it, you know, daily, every day of their lives. Some people wanted to get over it as soon as possible and didn't want to think about it and wanted to move on. And so I, I think it's infinitely complex the way people remember things. Sometimes it is with irony. Sometimes it's with bitterness. Uh, you know, when I think about the veterans of the Second World War, people who I knew, some of them were, of course, proud of what they did, but some of them regretted losing the time. They lost a piece of their lives. Um, and, you know, they did their duty, but they also lost four years of their life to some, you know, to, to government service. Um, I, I think to say that, as Fussell does, that it's all about irony is, is an overstatement, and I, I say that in the book. I, I think that irony does descend in some measure from these monuments. They're so often so unabashed about how um, clear the cause is, when the cause is so complex and still not quite well defined to this day, um, I, I think that's why people look with irony at, um, at this kind of rhetoric. It, 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 it just is, it seems to me you know, a different set of, of tools that uh, we have today that you have to consciously read this and, and, and recognize that they, they, they meant what they said. They're, they're, certainly they're not being ironic. I don't think anyone would mistake that. But, uh, but, but to take it seriously can be, yeah. can be a challenge. Yeah. Let well, me ask a different question. Uh, um, you, you found markers at a lot of really obscure places. Uh, you know, Cool Springs is a, a battle that I'd just heard of. Uh, oh, okay. But there were battles, you know, the Battle of the Double Toll Gates I had never heard of. <laughs> 
and I'm sure there are many that, that listeners, uh, as deeply versed as they are, there. Yeah. Any listener who gets this book is going to find a battle he's never or she has never heard of. Uh, how did you find those markers? Did you did you go start with the official records, find every battle, then look for the markers, or did you come across the markers and look up the battle? How did that work? I, I have to say, today, t- ten years later, it's, it's a little easier. Um, when this shows how time has passed, even in, in ten years, but. You know, 10 years ago, we did, my wife and I, we did a lot of driving. We just looked around. We would mm-hmm. scout these places. And I would do it by deduction. You know, there was a, there's a courthouse here. Is there a monument here? There was a battle here. Is there a monument here? Or somebody would tell me that there might be something there. Or there is a rumor that something is here. And so we would do a lot of chasing around, looking for things. And it was almost essential at points to have somebody have two people doing it because I would drive and somebody would spot or my wife would spot or vice versa and so you're really doing this search it was kind of a you know it's a real field research deduction kind of process um, and sometimes it was happenstance that there might be something and, and there it is and sometimes there's there's not so there were there, and there was such a thing as phantom monuments things that existed that people thought existed that didn't, and things that used to exist that no longer do, and and so on and so forth. It was much more complicated, I trust, than any other state um, that that I might uh, investigate. Are, are you haunted by the thought that you missed some monuments? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And I, I, the one that gets me was uh, at this Ream Station, and um, the book was almost done, and I, I found out there was a monument down there, and I'm, I'm, I, our house is in Pennsylvania. It's 400 miles away. Do I include that? You know, do I go all the way down there to get this one picture, you know, and, and, and do it? And, you know, I, I just I couldn't let it go. Uh, so we went. You know, I had that, to go. We had to, you know, it just didn't seem right not to include it. So we did. No, I mean, you've gone this far. You might as well get right. that, get that right. next one in there. Yeah. Well, so then after you, you would find a battle at, say, Cool Springs, then, then how would you research to find out what happened there? Well, one thing I learned was, although the, a lot of the inscriptions, are ve- they're very, pretty accurate. I mean, 99%, they're very accurate. A lot of times they'll make mistakes. And so I, I really had to learn about the battles and the officers and the ranks of the officers and the dates when ranks would go up. Um, cool Springs, I, I knew nothing about, so I had to research that. Um, it, it was a much more challenging job than I thought it would be at the beginning. Because if I wanted to present a book that does this reference job, I had to learn about all who the officers were, who the men were, how their names were spelled, when they became major general as opposed to brigadier general, you know, what actually happened here as opposed to what the inscription says, um, how many casualties as opposed to what the inscription says, you know, other cases of exaggeration or understatement or, and so on. So it was a much more difficult job than I thought it would be at the very beginning of this process. But I did get it all done. Now, if if you uh, given all that, if if you were to uh, go back in time uh, when you first had the idea, hey, I think I'll write this up, uh, would you do it again? Oh yes, oh yes, oh it's wonderful. Uh, I did it now. I mean, a lot of times it's miserable because you're you know you're out in the cold and, and taking pictures or out in the heat or whatever. Um, but man, it was quite that was a wonderful experience. I mean, I I saw things that many Virginians never see. I mean, we saw the whole state. We saw the whole thing. And we went to every, you know, virtually every battlefield. And I know we went to every courthouse because we checked them all. I'm wondering, I, I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners will 
be moved to get a copy of this. It is I'm looking at the back here. It's 39.95, but it's a big hardbound book. It's worth that kind of price, and uh, just one of those things that, that surprises you when you open it, and it's. Uh, much more than it promises. I wonder if any listeners will get this and then go to every one of these monuments. Uh, how long would it take them, do you suppose? It, 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 it took you a number of years to, to write this, obviously. Uh, I guess we could figure it by deduction. If they, they do them every other day, it would take a couple of years. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, it would take a long time, I would guess, um, and several thousand miles. And I, I don't recommend it just just read the book. It'll it'll get you there. It'll, it'll do the job. <laughs> it will do the job. Uh, and, and speaking of time, that's what we are out of again uh, today at the end of our show. But, uh, Timothy, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, for, for talking about this really entertaining book. Well, you're most welcome. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. And listeners, you'll want to get a copy of An Illustrated Guide to Virginia's Confederate Monuments. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.